Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives deeply into the weeds of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our wonderful panel, including Rachel Clow. Hey, Chris. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Howdy. And Cicero Holmes. Uh, speak the name of Kalis. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So the show is continuing its foray into the dreaded mirror universe with the crew of Discovery undercover in dangerous space as they desperately try to find a way home. This week's episode of Star Trek Discovery was not without a fair amount of surprise and a whole hell of a lot of consequence. So we have quite a lot to talk about today. But first, as usual, how's everyone's week been? Did you guys take in any more Star Trek or have you given any more thought to the way the show is shaping up or you have any other general franchise thoughts as we open up the show this week? Cicero, why don't we start with you? Uh, you know what? I actually did take in a lot of Star Trek. I, I, I spent a lot of time watching Mirror Universe episodes. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I watched Mirror Mirror after immediate, almost immediately after, uh, the, the, uh, season or the second, the winter premiere or the fall, spring premiere, or whatever of, mm-hmm. uh, of Discovery. And then, uh, went and watched the, the Mirror Darkly two-parter on, Ooh, on Enterprise, which, um, I hadn't watched in probably two or three years, and uh, I really loved how they presented that entire episode with the new, you know, with the new intro, totally new music. Um, mm-hmm. Just it was it was it was really super super cool. So uh, so yeah, I watched those. I didn't watch um, the ones on DS Nine, but uh, but those those are next on my list. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a fair amount of them too in Deep Space Nine, and they don't they they don't stick close to the template that I think was established in the TOS episode, or really in what was carried over in Enterprise. So it, it seems like they're kind of other. Like last week, Zachy was talking about how you know there's Mirror Mirror, and then there's everything else, right? And that's kind of how I feel about the DS9 Mirror episodes. They're certainly not bad. But uh, they they feel very different and very disconnected from what we had seen before. But, uh, you know, the thing that continuously surprises me about Mirror Mirror itself is just how eminently watchable that is, even now. I mean, that's still, to yes. me, for my money anyway, one of the most entertaining episodes of the original series ever, you know, in, in, in all of its seasons. So glad you had a chance to take that in. That's uh, that's really cool. And, and I'm sure – did you, so did you – Having absorbed a lot of Mirror Universe stuff, then did you did you get any new thoughts created about the way the Discovery is handling it? Um, I was like, I'm just along for the ride for the Discovery thing, and I I think it's it's one of those things where when you when you do when you have these these like recurring tropes from from a franchise, you can't. It's it's more difficult to view it in the moment. As opposed mm-hmm. to you know allowing yourself to to take some time and and process the entire thing, especially since since I had the feeling that we were going to be here for for a, at least a little while, um, yeah, that I right. wanted to take some time and and take it as a whole and say what was the the discoveries jaunt in the mirror universe like, as opposed to the enterprises, uh, you know, just kind of two part or throwaway mirror universe for kicks. 
versus mirror mirror um and and mm-hmm. Uh, and then be able to to sit back and assess it and and properly uh, gauge its worth. Yeah, absolutely. Very very well said. Well, Rachel, what have you been up to over the last week? I mean, obviously, most people who know I kind of know, but of course, let's talk about it. What have you been up to in Star Trek for the last week? Um, I've been watching Deep Space Nine. Yeah, continuing the DS9 rewatch. Well, actually, you know, in honor of Kim Kardashian's surrogate having given birth to her third child, <laughs> I watched the episode where Kira has the O'Brien's child oh, for them. So yeah. that just happened to line up on the same day. Right. But, <laughs> but I was so, like, oh, how good. Retroactive tribute. Yeah. Yes. You know, I like the way that they did that, though. I mean, dealing with uh, with the fact that uh, Nana Visitor was was pregnant, they, they definitely dealt with it in a very novel way by tying it to another character first before sort of looping it back. to. And then there was that in-joke between she and Dr. Bashir. Like, well, you know, this is your fault. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was because <laughs> meta-joke, it was his baby. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, just some of the some of the cool aspects of which actually, if you watch some earlier episodes, it was so obvious that they were like having a thing. There was chemistry. Yeah, like any time that they were on screen together, you were like, "Oh, they they're into each other." There's magic in the air, <laughs> right? as Timon once said. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, you had to point that out to me because that stuff always goes way over my head. I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, I can, I can maybe see that. That's that's interesting, but still, cool episode overall, right? Yeah, cool. I I like that they sort of wrote her pregnancy into the show instead of like having her stand behind right like, boxes and stuff <laughs> yeah like they, just we all have to pretend like we don't see it <laughs> yeah you always point out like when you watch x-files episodes where jillian anderson was pregnant how they tried to sort of frame it to make it look like she wasn't it was pregnant. only her first pregnancy that they oh was it yeah so they had her they had jillian anderson get abducted by aliens <laughs> so um and then the aliens like injected air into her belly in one shot and it was actually her pregnant belly uh, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> all right that is awesome yep. points for creativity to yeah. mr chris carter uh zachy my friend how about you uh, well, the, the the reviewing is continuing just by chance. Uh, uh, the timing lines up where I'm on crossover uh, with Deep ah. Space Nine, which is their first uh, first of the mirror episodes. And uh, picking up on what Rachel is saying, it's the the teaser is uh, you know uh, Kira showing how much she dislikes uh, Bashir, which is very funny given the <laughs> personal context between them. Yeah. Um, and this, I haven't seen this episode since probably 2003. It's been, uh, at least that long. So it was, it was fairly fresh to me and it was fun cause I was, I was watching it with my oldest and you know, uh, when, when mirror Kira shows up, he's like, Hey, this is like that episode where Spock has the beard. And I'm like, Oh, is it really uh keep watching? And, you know, and then they drop the <laughs> Captain Kirk reference and he's like, it is just like that. You know, nice. he got real excited. <laughs> and then I got excited cause he's, he got excited and we did the dance of joy and, uh, <laughs> And and it was fun. It, it was fun also because of obviously with the added context that we have with the current uh, uh, discovery arc, it's nice to kind of uh, see if there's any uh, attempts made to, at at tonal consistency, if not continuity. And so that's that's kind of interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to 
getting to the other mirror episodes, which, as I mentioned last week, I'm not a huge fan of the. I'm I'm not a huge fan in general of the jaunts to the mirror universe uh, mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine because Chris, kind of what you're saying, because it really it stopped being what the mirror universe was originally, right which was the evil incarnations of, of our, our characters. The, the Deep Space Nine mirror episodes really weren't that. Um, no. and, then, and then on Enterprise, as much as I liked the craft and skill that went into creating them, what, what I disliked about those two episodes was, I remember distinctly at the time, I was like, we're almost done. And these are two episodes that we're not spending with right. our characters because yeah. we're doing this. You know? And I remember mm-hmm. being, being irked by that somewhat. Sure, and that's very understandable, and that's also something that I felt about the the finale of Enterprise as well. Yeah. I mean, as, as as cool as it was to see Commander Riker and Counselor Troy again, and to hear Data again, you know, it was still time that we were not going to be getting with these characters that we had spent four right. years with up until that point. But when it comes to uh, to taking in crossover again. Uh, how did, how did you feel, especially with the context of everything? Cause it sounds like you haven't seen this episode since before enterprise did its mirror universe episodes and certainly yeah. not before uh, discovery had done its foray into the mirror universe. So did you see it with new eyes at all? Or was it pretty much as you remembered it? Uh, similar to, to how I remembered it. I, I thought crossover is the strongest of their mirror episodes. And I think the novelty of it is, Oh, here's what happened you know, after Captain Kirk beamed away. And that was always kind of the ending of mirror mirror was always kind of pregnant with that question of like what happened next. And so we get, we get like a hundred years of, well, uh, turns out everything went to shit. So that was (laughs) like, like in hindsight, Kirk just made things worse for humans, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and to, to that episode's credit, it always made way more sense when when uh, Regent Kira or not Regent Kira, Intendant Kira, uh, name drops Captain Kirk. Yeah, it made more sense that Prime Kira had no idea who he was compared with like a next gen name drop of the original series crew, and they had no idea who right. Captain Kirk was. Like, really? Okay, right. it makes sense that an alien who you know had recently come into contact with the Federation didn't know. I, but- I remember seeing that episode back in you know ninety whenever it aired for the first time, and when when she goes to Bashir, she's like, "Do you know somebody named Kirk?" He's like, "Kirk, the transporter." I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, sweet." Yeah. I remember geeking out at that big time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Very, uh, very nicely, nicely put by. Of course, Bashir would be like a you know the history guy in in that right. particular jaunt. So yeah, that was fun. Uh, well, as for me, um, one of the things that I did, and I think I sent you guys a picture, but for the people who aren't on our uh, Discovery Debrief Senior Officers chat line, one of the things that I did when I came home from the holidays, uh, my in-laws were actually holding on to my two-disc special edition DVDs of all original 10 Star Trek films, uh, including the director's edition of the motion picture. And uh, the reason that I wanted to bring those home with me to Illinois was because there are really excellent text commentaries on every one of those movies by Michael Okuda, who worked on the franchise for years and uh, who's one of the co-writers of the awesome Star Trek encyclopedia. And uh, it's just filled with great information. And Rachel had never seen those before. So 
when we were actually in Washington State at the end of December and into the first couple of days of January, we had started to watch the motion pictures text commentary and we finished that one here. So I'm actually looking forward to, to getting to the other nine movies and, and uh, re- reminiscing a little bit about what kinds of factoids, because it's actually pretty fascinating. If you can uh, find those those two-disc special edition DVDs of the first 10 films, like if you're at a half-price book, search you're, you're at a pawn shop or something, and you see one or two here or there, consider picking them up because the 480p doesn't necessarily stretch very well, especially if you got a 4K TV, but... Those text commentaries are pretty awesome, especially if you love just taking in factoids about the show, about the the entire franchise, really. But uh, another thing that uh, Rachel and I did, we watched a pretty engaging take on an aspect of the Star Trek franchise in the form of the new Black Mirror season premiere called the USS Hmm. Callister. Did you guys have a chance to watch that? Mm -hmm. I, I know of it. I haven't seen it yet, though. Yeah, it was pretty interesting because, you know, Black Mirror as a show, it's kind of like a dark and twisted earthbound Twilight Zone in the sense that it presents these really dystopic visions of mostly the present, I think, anyway, wouldn't you say? Like near future. Yeah, present near future type of scenario. But it it certainly doesn't uh, lean a lot on aspects that we find commonplace in the Star Trek franchise about the the higher aspirational qualities of humanity, let's say. So, like, for instance, one of the episodes of Black Mirror that actually features the, the same actor that plays General Hux in the current Star Wars movies, uh, he played a husband to uh, well, the actresses who played... Haley Atwell. Oh, Haley Atwell, sure. who played Agent Carter in the Marvel films. Uh, so they were a married couple, and he gets killed, and she is having a significant amount of difficulty in coping with his death. And she finds this service that can comb his social media profiles and create an AI that's conversational based on everything that he left online. And so the story becomes, well, so she's sort of falling in maybe a healthy or an unhealthy love with this facsimile of her husband and uh, it gets even crazier when she's able to actually create a fake body for this AI. And it goes, so that's the kind of territory that the show goes into. But uh, the Black Mirror episode that we watch that kind of deals with Star Trek is called USS Callister. And it very much kind of spoofs some aspects of the cheesiness of the original series. And I was expecting to go into it and not like it because I thought it was going to try and deconstruct Star Trek in a way that might be, I don't know, offensive to my taste as a Star Trek fan. But it really wasn't that at all. It was more just, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of dealt with more themes of what does cruelty look like if someone seems nice on the outside, but they can take a, a version of you and treat it horribly it, away from prying eyes, you know, the, the dark aspects of a person's psyche. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I bringing it it's kind of hard to, the Star Trek aspect is, it's really more of a setting than a, Right, than than a, any, anything than else. Like an idea so. that's explored. But, yeah. uh, but it's, I mean, it's definitely worth watching if, if for no other reason than the, uh, the production value and design is, is very good. 
and uh, tells tells a very interesting story. So if you're inclined, you got a free hour and a half, and you're looking for something that may not exactly reinforce your your faith in humanity, but it's still a pretty interesting and engaging story. Consider watching the USS Callister episode of the Black Mirror. But did you like it, Rach? I mean, yeah, I mean it's Black Mirror, so it didn't make me feel <laughs> very good. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, and I also think he there. The guy who writes Black Mirror is running out of ideas because he's really remixing a lot of ideas from previous episodes in the, in this episode. Um, but I mean, other than that, it was engaging and sure, yeah. Like if you're a fan of Black Mirror, you might not necessarily see a significant amount of new ideas in this episode. But to its credit, there was an end to it that was certainly a lot more upbeat than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at that. But uh, we have a couple of potentially consequential news items to talk about. So before we move on to our episode discussion, why don't we talk about some news? So according to a report in The Wrap, the Viacom Corporation, which is a parent company of Paramount Pictures, is considering merging with the CBS Corporation. And these two entities actually used to be one company until Viacom spun CBS off into its own corporation back in 2005. And so why am I bringing this up on a Star Trek show? Well, if this is pursued to completion, then it might have a rather adverse effect on the Star Trek franchise, because when the two entities were initially split, as we've discussed before on this show, Paramount retained control of the Star Trek film series, while CBS retained control of the franchise on TV. So if these two entities were combined into one again, then Star Trek, all of it, would be under one umbrella. And uh, this is reportedly one of the reasons that J.J. Abrams took something of a backseat in the Trek franchise and went more towards Star Wars because the fragmentation made it needlessly difficult to exploit its full potential in other endeavors, including multimedia and merchandising. So on the other hand, though, this follows a continuing trend of giant conglomerates basically just playing with each other and, uh, you know, trusts and, and things like that. So what do you guys think about this? Zachy, you had expressed before some frustration of the fragmentation of the Star Trek franchise specifically. So when you heard about this, what came to mind? Oh, I was I was happy. I mean, I hope it happens. I, yeah, what I said before still applies. I think that uh, uh, cutting the baby in half – uh, was something that that was was catastrophic for both uh, the film and and the TV end. I think it 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 needlessly fragments and creates a partition, uh, a Berlin Wall kind of between uh, two integral parts of Star Trek. You know, I've never been somebody who says uh, Star Trek should only be on TV or it should only be in movies. I think the flow back and forth was something that was that was helpful, and I think that notwithstanding. Um, uh, notwithstanding, you know, Spock Prime being present in in the the Kelvin films to sort of root them as part of the the you know the overall franchise, they feel distant, you know, and I feel like mm-hmm. uh, what w- an opportunity that that hasn't been been played up is think think about it. You you could have had uh, a TV miniseries set in the Prime timeline doing. Uh, for the Kelvin movies, what you know the the IDW comics have done. 
sure. and things like yeah. that. There was an opportunity for flow back and forth that that was not available to them. Not to say that they would have necessarily done that, but they didn't even have the, have the option to do it because of this stupid corporate uh, sequester, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Rachel? Okay. <clears throat> First of all, um, I don't believe that J.J. Abrams went to Star Wars because of, of <laughs> this I think he went to Star Wars well, not instead of Star Trek because this. he like loves Star Wars with <laughs> like all of his heart. <laughs> let, let me let me qualify that a little like, bit before you continue. Not solely this, but Abrams is an astute businessman. And I think that he did actively get frustrated at the idea of not being able to exploit the merchandising potential of his recharacterization of Star Trek to its full potential. Okay, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's good that they're they could be under the same roof. That's mm-hmm. cool. But I'm always like a little freaked out when corporations, giant corporations, start to combine into even gianter corporations. <laughs> uh, it kind of isn't usually good for us as consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, maybe it's good for us as Star Trek consumers, yeah. but in, in other ways, I'm not sure that it'll be so good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Cicero, how about you? Uh, you know, everything old becomes new again. Um, you know, it, it, as, as a person who uh, has more grace than he care to admit, um, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen uh, Ma Bell break up into smaller bells. I've seen those, those smaller bells um, reform in, and become Verizon. You know, I've like I've seen these things happen, um, and and history just continues to repeat itself. When it comes to Star Trek, it, it makes sense to have everything under one umbrella, uh, and and I think the brilliance in in the in the J.J. Abrams move, whether it was. Uh, him as a director who also wrote, I'm not sure who wrote the, the original Star Trek, but created this Kelvin timeline. Mm-hmm. It allows itself to separate itself from any potential, you know, TV in the future because they are, they do exist in separate timelines. So you don't have to worry about, uh, the, the film version of a character interfering or being, you know, being even a different actor than than this a similar actor or the similar similar character on on television, which is which I think is fantastic. Um, I I am not uh, worried about this. Like I don't think that uh, Paramount's going to now charge us more money as a result mm-hmm. of you know them now owning all of the rights. Like I, I just I, I mean I think. For 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 Star Trek specifically, this is a great thing because now they have, uh, you know, all of the people that are are concerned with the property with the franchise under one roof, under one umbrella. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm inclined to agree because on further reflection, uh, you know, you think of what the relationship was like between the first ten films 
and uh, and and the television side of Star Trek, and particularly during the Next Generation years, is very very interwoven. Uh, you know, you went you had the Next Generation cast basically graduate up into the feature division, and you had uh, at least one cast member who was a member of both the feature cast and one of the primary shows at the same time, and. Those first 10 films, the run of those ended in 2002, three years before the two entities split the first time. And what have we had since then? We've had a series of movies that were very separate from any other kind of endeavor with the the Star Trek franchise. Uh, obviously, there hasn't been a TV show since then either, but now that there is, maybe we'll be able to see more intertwining. I'm not necessarily worried about the trust aspect in this specific instance only because these were two entities that were formerly one entity before anyway, and it would just basically be returning to a status quo that we've all known in the past. Uh, it's not like the 20th Century Fox and Disney deal, far from it, at least right. as far as my perceptions are concerned. But uh, yeah, I mean, think about how when Star Trek was so prevalent in the 1990s in particular, and you know, you had movies coming out and you had multiple shows on the air. You had tons and tons of consumer products. Uh, obviously, Star Trek merchandising hasn't been nearly as inundating, I guess, as Star Wars merchandising, but it was much heavier in the 90s than it probably ever was before, even in the 80s when it started to regain its popularity. So having more stuff for Star Trek out in the wild will probably just help to keep the franchise alive in people's minds. And as someone who's pro Star Trek, as I've said multiple times on this show, probably a good thing, but we'll have to see what actually finally shakes out of this. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we will see. Uh, one other item that I wanted to bring up that's actually kind of multiple sub items. Discovery producer Ted Sullivan has taken to Twitter and kind of answered an impromptu Q&A about last week's episode of the show, Despite Yourself. And here are some of the bits of information that he divulged. Uh, someone asked about the discrepancy between the design of the USS Defiant as seen in last week's schematic and the regular appearance of uh, TOS Constitution class ships. And he basically said, yep, it's been modified by the Terran Empire over the course of the last century, which we pretty much thought, at least mostly thought. Rachel had to convince me that that was the case, but now she's been proven correct again. Again. Are you sure I was correct? Yes, you Hashtag were correct. Rachel was right. Rachel was right. I'm pretty sure that you were right. I'll I'll listen back, but that's I guess maybe that's I don't just even the remember what I say. Maybe, I just... maybe that's just the default now. I don't know. Just, Rachel's right. Uh, <laughs> Sullivan also defended uh, the new visual takes on alien species like the Klingons, the Tellarites, and the Andorians by simply chalking it up to having a bigger budget and appealing to a global audience, as well as saying that there's a reason they decided to set the series pre-TOS. So for the people who are still sticklers about this not being a post-Voyager, post-Nemesis take on the franchise, there's a larger narrative aim according to, uh, to Mr. Sullivan. Uh, he also dismissed the idea of characterizing characters in the Mirror Universe through rampant promiscuity, which is something that Mirror Mirror kind of hinted at. Obviously, he didn't take that idea very far, but uh, he said that people who were just rampantly promiscuous and that's the dividing line was kind of a crutch in lieu of actual consequential character differences between Prime and Mirror characters. 
Uh, when answering if other legacy characters from previous shows could appear, he seemed open to the possibility as long as it would be, quote, more than nostalgia. And the only character he named when asked what he'd like to see, he said, quote, I'd be curious to see how the team dealt with a Q. Kind of an interesting thought. Uh, he also related that ancillary characters, including Kayla Detmer, Arium, and Reese, would be getting more screen time in season two. And also the writers have apparently been working on season two since at least November. So out of any of these, do you guys have any additional thoughts that spring to mind? Cicero? So the, I guess my first thought was about something that you only kind of glanced, glanced on, um, well, or touched on was this, this, uh, whole idea of the technology and, and, uh, you know, stylistic choices. Now I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't take exception to, uh, stylistic choices with the ships. If you want to, if you want to touch them up just a little, um, to make them not look as angular, you know, make TOS era, uh, starships not look as angular as they did in, in, uh, the original series. I don't have a problem with that. It makes sense now. Like we just, we just, we know better. Um, the, the one thing that I've, I've continually harped on was the fact that they, you know, uh, the uniforms are dramatically different. And the technology mm -hmm. that they use is far more advanced um, right. than than the technology used in uh, in TOS. And he he said that there was a reason. So I'm still, you know, and again, that's kind of what I've I've been holding on to. But but the other part was that he said, hey, you know, our budget is bigger, so mm -hmm. we're able to do things in in a you know much more experienced way, in a much more realistic way. Uh, than we, than we were able to do, or the creators then were able to do 50 years ago. Um, right. So I, I'm okay with that, I guess. Um, but it, it, there's like, there still needs to be an explanation, I think. Yeah, sure. Understandable. Zachy, how about you? Any thoughts? Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm willing to roll with most of that stuff. I, I, I think, uh, the, the question that I, uh, uh, was most I intrigued by was his answer for why the defiant uh, looks slightly different, you know, when we see it now. And I figured it was something along the lines of what he said. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, for s stuff like that, I'm kind of like, um, they, they should have some kind of uh, canonical explanation, not because I'm like a super stickler for continuity, but I mean, I think just for the sake of consistency where uh, right. the, the design of, the original constitution class ship is sort of baked into the cake. Right. And so to me to change that willy nilly outside of, you know, like a, the, the excuse that you have with like a timeline reset uh, is something that like, I like the fact that they're saying, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same ship, but they've tweaked it or whatever to me that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I, you don't I, tug on Superman's cape without a reason for it. it right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rachel, any thoughts about these? I like that they're leaning away from the promiscuity in the mirror universe as mm -hmm. being a defining characteristic because <laughs> it didn't make sense to me when I was thinking about it because like, if everybody exists, then that means that everybody's parents had to have gotten together and had them. And then, it, and then if you were like, 
if if everybody was just like having sex with everybody all the time in the mirror universe, then there would be like different combinations of people, right? And there wouldn't be counter your mirror counterparts because of all I don't know. It was like freaking out my. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, they have to be close enough together that at least all of the same people are together at the same points enough that the same people are born. Right. Which kind of messes with my head. Well, that's also um, not taking into account possible advances in contraception by the time we get to the 23rd century, right? <laughs> right. Oh, but man. like the mere universe people, if they're all evil, why would they ever have babies at all? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Gotta, Maybe there's personal profit in it in, in some fashion. The emperor fashion. wants like, them to. Yeah. yeah, further, right, yeah. further the Terran Empire. Can't have it last for just the generation. The emperor goes on on international television and says, "I did my part. Now you do <laughs> right. yours." Right, right. Yeah, Cicero gets it. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. But anyway, just in general, like I don't. We shouldn't equate promiscuity with evil. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but also too. I mean, it is. He he's probably correct in saying that it's a crutch. You know, well, how can we make this the evil universe? Sure. Well, let's just make everyone sleep around. Right. You know? But I mean, there's. I think these episodes in particular have demonstrated. You know, there's more to being on the other side of the coin than just like this mustache twirling conception <laughs> of what's constituted as evil in the 1950s. You know, I mean, it's there, there's more to it than that. And yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's a more more nuanced. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the mustache twirly. Well, know. sure. I mean, there's still a little bit of that because it's Sarek's ba- got the uh, he's got the goatee. Sarek's got the he's got the goatee, right? He he can twirl it if he wants to. But uh, I mean, it's kind of the the must the aspect of mustache twirling is sort of baked into what the mirror universe is kind of supposed to be. At least to a point, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and um, I guess the only one that kind of got at me, I was really sort of engaged at how I don't know why this this is what I took the most from the most recent episode, but the redesign of the Tellarites was something that I thought was really interesting right. because the Tellarites, and you know, in the original series, they looked pretty goofy. And in Enterprise, they certainly look better, but here they look kind of fearsome. And that kind of matches what I've always uh, thought of a Tellarite's demeanor, you know, it's supposed to be kind of threatening. So I thought that that was really cool. And yeah, it just makes sense that, you know, you have more money to spend per episode, pour some of it in the makeup and, and see what you can do. It still retains sort of the core elements of what the looks are. Uh, particularly in the cases of the Andorians, but the Tellarites, I thought, were a pretty a pretty cool redesign. Right, and so, uh, you know, I I just want to say that just just in general, that I I think a good rule of thumb, or at least a, a rule of thumb that I live by, is when you are looking at something, you know, you're looking at fandom that is decades old, a generation old, and then and then people create new iterations of that. As long Mm -hmm. as I look, you know, when I'm looking at a a character or a race of beings or a ship that is famous uh, within that fandom, as long it could be different, as long as I can tell immediately who that is supposed to be. 
whether that's right. to be an iconic ship, whether it's supposed to be an iconic race. And, you know, like the Tellarites and even the Andorians to, to a certain extent, um, they look better. And, mm-hmm. and, but they are immediately recognizable. And I, I can appreciate that. And I, you know, I won't deride any creator for, for I f- doing it. I feel that. like the, the Klingons kind of failed the test then based yes. on that. Yes. Discovery. Yes. 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 And, and, and quite honestly, I'm waiting for, I'm still waiting for the explanation. You know, yeah. we've gotten so, we've gotten so into the weeds with, with Valk and Laurel and, you know, in the light of Kalis and all this other stuff that, that, that burning question has kind of fallen to the wayside. And I, you know, I think it, it is time to, uh, continue to hold their feet to the fire for that one. Um, yeah. I I will say though that TOS uh Klingons or not uh TNG Klingons had the worst hair. Their hair was <laughs> the worst. So the fact that they got rid of that hair is not the worst thing in the world. They probably could have gotten better hair. Um I want to see like I want to see a Klingon with like a bouffant or something like that. Like- <laughs> Beehive. I I'm 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 still waiting on a on seeing a Klingon that has hair that's I guess just like mine, like they had in TOS. You right. know, just short hair Klingon doesn't seem like those are particularly common. Right. Uh, you know, I'm the Klingons don't really bother me per se. I guess only because it seems like a uh, a further a further iteration of what we saw more specifically in Star Trek Into Darkness. You know, in Star Trek Into Darkness, we saw a Klingon's face on screen for all of like two and a half minutes, I think. And it seemed like they were going with a slightly more reptilian design mm. when we when we briefly saw that Klingon warrior. No hair on on that guy's head, as far as I remember. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could argue that or if, if I wanted to make an argument, I guess I would say, okay, well, what's the most visually identifying feature of a Klingon? And I would say, well, it's the ridges and the ridges are certainly there, but you know, the, the more extreme ridges on discovery Klingons combined with very inhuman complexions on the Klingons themselves, uh, makes for a wholly different vision of what a Klingon looks like. In addition to, you know, the, the, the changes in the, the skull structure, you know, the noses and, and sort of the, the cheekbones and the brows are all very, very more pronounced, but it still kind of seems Klingon in a way to me, but maybe that isn't pushed forward enough to satisfy Star Trek fans at large, but it kind of just goes back to, the point that you were making, Cicero, I mean, there's a reason why every iteration you see of Batman has the horns on his mask. Right. You know, that's Batman. It's easy to see, oh, that's Batman. And in this instance, for me, I could sort of say, oh, yeah, I think that's a Klingon. But it certainly wasn't as clear cut as uh, as it is for, let's say, the Andorians that we saw this past week or, or the Tellarites even for that matter, even though that was also kind of a departure. But there's a whole lot of things that we could probably say about this aspect specifically, and it would be a fascinating conversation, but we do have a hell of an episode to talk about. So why don't we uh, move on to our discussion for Star Trek Discovery Episode 11, The Wolf Inside. Inside. <laughs> 
So we get a glimpse at what Michael's life is like posing as captain of the ISS Shenzhou. She clearly feels that the darkness and horror of this universe is getting to her, but is allowed one quieter moment by being pampered, massaged, and bathed by an alien slave, which happens to be the mirror universe counterpart of Saru. This is quickly disrupted by fulfilling some of her duties as captain, which includes overseeing the execution of prisoners who committed crimes of thought against the Terran Empire. And I guess more specifically against the Terran Emperor. So this is a pretty long teaser. This episode had quite a bit of runtime before we even got to the opening credits. 14 minutes in length, which is the longest teaser in the history of the Star Trek franchise. And it really seems like it's driving deeper into the ideas and people in the mirror universe more than any other journey the franchise has taken here. So, Zachy, I wanted to start with you because given some of the grievances and trepidation that you had expressed last week in classifying all mirror episodes as generally inferior to Mirror Mirror on TOS... Did this opening specifically, just the first 14, 15 minutes of this episode, show you anything that might give you an impression that Discovery was aiming for something that other Mirror Universe episodes outside of TOS's uh, had not or had not aimed for in the past? You know, if I'm being honest, uh, no, it, it didn't. And I, and I think, I think for two reasons, you know, I, part of that is because Mirror Mirror is at its core a really great one-off gimmick that they found a way to sort of sequelize into infinity right so so it mm-hmm. goes to what i said earlier about just it's it's you can't catch lightning in a bottle that way uh, i think the other concern i have with doing a mirror episode on this show number one what i said before where i'm like it it takes away the uniqueness of the the enterprise being the first crew to encounter this um, mm-hmm. And and second, we're we're tr- it's taking us to this darker place, and the idea is it's trying to show Burnham, who's like I'm I'm you know trying to keep myself from getting pulled in here and and you know changing who I am or whatever. The problem is we're like you know seven episodes into the show, like it's just too soon. You know we don't have mm-hmm. a clear enough sense of who Burnham or any of these characters are really for the 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 you know the the effect the mirror universe is having on uh, her slash them to be uh, as as compelling as I think it could be and I, th- I think that's just I, I just think it's too soon if at all like to me this is like season two or three you wait you know mm-hmm. sure that's- something to work up to as opposed to right out of the gate yeah yeah Rachel how about you compared with other mirror universe jaunts and what we saw in the opening of this one it's fine it's comparable i think it's comparable yeah well maybe not to like tos but mm-hmm. um like to deep space nine it's it's fine um i kind of agree with zaki about it it's that in not liking the uh the mirror universe aspect of it as much mm-hmm. um I kind of found myself sort of wishing they could get back. I was just like, come on, can you just kind of get back to the real universe We now? have a war to fight. Yeah, I don't know. I just, um, the dawning realization that this is going to be a 
at least three episode, probably entire rest of the season arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit disappointing for me. And I, I really loved all of the aspects of this episode that like didn't have to do strictly with the fact that it's the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. And also, was that Saru or was it just a Kelpian? No, I'm pretty sure it was Saru. Just because oh, it was okay. very much Doug Jones right. that was right. doing it. Yeah, but we've never seen any other Kelpians. Maybe they all are That's Doug true. Jones. That's true. That's <laughs> true. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> Cicero, how about you, man? What do you think about uh, this opening 15-minute salvo and compared with other Mirror Universe jobs? So um, I understand exactly what Zachy was saying, and I – I agree to a point, but then I disagree. So I don't know, you know, like maybe Mirror Mirror Universe uh, Cicero agrees completely with Zaki, um, but, <laughs> but 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 I I enjoyed the fact that you know that we don't know how much time has passed. Uh, you know, we don't know how long they've been in the mirror universe. Um, so sure. so that you know the fact that we're we're getting a captain's log from from uh burnham and she's kind of talking about the fact that that she's losing some of her prime universe humanity um you know that humanity Mm -hmm. is is completely redefined and it's not you know it's not that she's a crew member on a ship on a starship in in an evil universe she is the decision maker on 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 this ship and and the fact that she hasn't had, she, you know, she has much like Tilly has dreamt about having command. Um, and, you know, and understands the weight of command and has had these ambitions for command. And now she finally gets it and she gets it in the worst circumstances possible. And, mm-hmm. and now she's having to, to live a lie while, while fulfilling a dream. And having to deal with having to make decisions as this other person. Um, sure. So, like, all of those things are weighing upon her um, while she's trying to figure out the best way to get to get home. Um, so, like, I, I really felt that. I really felt that from her. I really felt that in the narration. Um, you know, yes, I do agree with Zachy that had this been season two or season three, God willing, um, that it would have been more emotionally impactful because you have a full breath of who Michael Burnham is at that particular Mm -hmm. moment. But um, I feel like I feel comfortable enough with saying that I know who she is at this point, um, that it was, it was a tough moment for her. Sure. Yeah, and I, I I'm inclined to agree with you only because uh, you know if 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 there is anything that I feel the mirror universe never sufficiently explored in every other appearance that it's had, it's having a sense of of dramatic weight to it. You know, I mean, in some respects, like in Deep Space Nine, in the episode where Cisco had to pose as his counterpart. You know, he lost himself in that role. It was almost like he was having fun with the idea of playing this sort of uh, dastardly version of himself. And, uh, you know, the other DS9 episodes had kind of that sense of separation that we had alluded to before 
and enterprise the since it strictly dealt with people who were indigenous to the mirror universe as opposed to an incursion from the prime universe in in observing how different things are it was people who had just lived in that world and were totally fine and conducting themselves in the way that normal mirror universe people conduct themselves right. but with this it actually feels like it has a weight to it where it's trying to sort of wrestle with the moral complications that come with observing this kind of behavior and, uh, you know, floating under the radar and trying to push forward this vision of something that you are very much not, but that you have to, you have to express this, this sort of strength in order to maintain respect and fear among, uh, your subordinates in this instance. That to me seems like it's got quite a bit of, uh, of dramatic heft to it. That's not to say that it wouldn't be served well by uh, you know building up to potentially a more rewarding jaunt into the mirror universe into the future. Uh, I kind I would be surprised if after this you know presuming Discovery gets four, five, six, or seven seasons, I would be surprised if we returned to the mirror universe in the future. Knock on wood. You know I think they've kind of done all they can in these few episodes that we're getting. But for what we are getting, the illustration of the mirror universe and the conflict that the characters that we know, uh, which Zaki's correct, not well, but we do know them, I think enough. Uh, it's it's kind of nice to see some actual weight in this location that we all know so well. So that to me is what's refreshing about the discovery take on the mirror universe just on its own. But uh, it definitely appears as though, you know, the realities of living in the mirror universe, even for a relatively short amount of time, are taking their toll on Michael's psyche. So do you think that she'll be able to come out of this ordeal unchanged or is this going to change her? Uh, because as she says, it's getting easier to live here. And Zachy, I want to throw it to you first. And I guess the only thing that I would try and bring up before you answer is, is this maybe going to be Michael's Zindi conflict archer kind of moment? Or is she going to overcome this? I mean, I, I think it'll change her. Uh, and But I mean, that comparison right there, like it, that, that transformation that Archer goes through is only really effective because we've had, right. you know, 48 episodes of, you know, classic Archer, Archer classic. Sure. And, yes. and so again, it's, it's one of those things where I, I absolutely think that it's, it's, you know, whatever, whatever contortions they're, they're, they're doing is, is going to be something good for the drama of the show. Uh, but I mean, it's, it, I mean, let's face it, we're, we're halfway through the first season and th the, the majority of the characters are ciphers. And that's been, I don't say that as a ding on it. I'm like, that's been the process of no pun intended. Discovery is sort of mm -hmm. going through and we're like, oh, we learned like, we learned this about Michael and right. we learned this. And, and, you know, obviously Lorca is just like Captain Question Mark, right? And, yeah. and so, so the thing, the problem I see here is, uh, I I still don't feel like I know Michael well enough to be like at, at on the flip side of this to be like oh you see how this changed right. her like I I just don't feel like I I can really get my arms around it all the way yet. Mm -hmm. Sure, Cicero, what do you think about that? 
Well, I, I think that uh, again, Zachy was right. Uh, I mean, Zachy's observation is is pretty on point. The the one thing that I will say is that I do think that um, you know, obviously, she will be changed, but but the part of the reason that she'll be changed is because of who the emperor is. Sure, and and it's just the the conflict within herself um, for having to having to kind of uh resolve the fact that she feels you know that she deeply betrayed this woman the effigy of of this woman who is now the emperor in this mirror universe but also the fact that she reveres the effigy of this woman who is now the emperor in the mirror universe and the conflict of that coming right off of the conflict of the very first uh, and only romantic love of her life, and you know, and how that, tra- you know, how all of that transpired is going to fundamentally change her, maybe in a way that, uh, you know, that would make her Archer esque. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Rachel. Yeah, I don't see how she can go through all of this stuff. And not be changed mm-hmm. in some significant way. Um, I my hope for her is that something that happens in the mirror universe with her and Giorgio can bring her some sort of sense of closure or healing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's what a uh, characters in dr- dramatic um, series usually get, but right. <laughs> I would, you know, as as one human to another, that's what I would want. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do like that she is able to blend in. Uh, I think, um, like one thing that kind of annoys me about sort of mistaken identity kind of plots, or like plots where you have to pretend to be someone you're not, and they person just like the character sucks at it, and you're like, come on, like I could totally like pretend to be evil right Mm -hmm. and so i i like that like michael is able to step into her role Mm -hmm. um and and in a way that feels realistic yeah well i think that's part of the part of what where you know her vulcan training kicks in is you know she's an academic at heart she's very good at at memorizing factoids and she's very good at sort of embodying those i mean she learned the regulations pretty well on the spot in in the terran empire so right. uh, that i'm sure that that skill lends itself to to the act of blending in i mean i don't really know yes this may change her but from my perspective i kind of think that it's going to end up being more of a trial by fire more than a deconstruction uh where you know, her outlook that we're already familiar with will instead become stronger as opposed to uh, being actively weakened by her time in the mirror universe. At least, you know, that's, I I don't have a crystal ball or anything, but that's kind of my hope. But uh, let's move along with the plot a little bit. The ISS Shenzhou is contacted by the Empire and given the coordinates of the resistance leadership, Michael is ordered to pursue Terran Imperial General Order 4, any exotic species deemed a threat to the imperial supremacy will be extinguished without prejudice, and her orders are then to kill the resistance's leadership by the command of the emperor. 
Burnham, nervous about the idea of killing the only alliance in this universe that looks anything like the interspecies unity of the Federation, consults Captain Lorca and comes up with a different plan. So this helps to give us a greater look at the sort of mechanics of the Empire, and it definitely reinforces what we learned about its governance from Spock back in the original series. Uh, you know, terror must be maintained or the empire is doomed, I think is what he said. So how did learning about the Terran general order shape your perception of the imperial chain of command, if at all? Rachel? Uh, it did not change my perception of the imperial change, chain of command. That is exactly what I would expect mm -hmm. them to have some yeah. sort of, of, you know, like the Starfleet general orders, except most of them are kill <laughs> kill this kill this kill, kill this and run <laughs> yeah <laughs> use deadly force whenever possible yeah so. sure zaki i wonder what is terran general order one i mean holy crap <laughs> you don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> well that how did how did uh, did you like hearing what a ten, a Terran general order sounded like? Did it did it surprise you at all, or was it pretty well in line with what you would expect? Um, well, it it didn't surprise me, and and it, I, I didn't like it because it's horrifying, right? Obviously, but well, sure, yeah, it's, right. It's, it's it's but like Rachel said, I mean, it's right in line with exactly what we'd expect, especially where we're at in the history of the mirror universe, which is you know ten years prior to when we first saw them right so um mm -hmm. it's it, it it fits very neatly in between the you know the 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 mirror darkly episodes and mirror mirror so i i did like that yeah mm -hmm. sure cicero yeah i mean it didn't it, it surprise me at all um mm -hmm. i do wonder about general order one but uh yeah you know it's not uh order 66 that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Terran Prime Direct. I bet it has to do with like annexation of property because I think uh, in in the last episode, Michael said that the Terran Empire is in, is the hegemony of all known space. Right. So I bet it's just like uh, like aggressive expansion, right? right? Uh, you know, you you come upon a planet, you put the flag right. down and expand the empire, well, expand or die. I mean, I guess that that does make sense. I mean, what is the Federation's prime directive is not to interfere. When yeah. they see a primitive right. species, so, um, so yeah, so the Terran, the imp, you know, the Imperial Prime Directive is probably always to interfere and subjugate. Yeah, that that would be a a mirror image of the Prime Directive, I think, probably, absolutely. Well, you know, Captain Lorca seems a little worse for wear in this episode, especially at this point in the episode. But he also seems to have enough presence of mind to know when his torture might be affecting his judgment. Why do you think that is? Is Lorca just made of something tough or is it possible that he's experienced an agony booth before? Zaki, what do you think? Well, I, I hope it's it's the latter. You know, I've, I've been, yeah. you know, the the again we we've discussed it before. Just the idea that he's like a, a fugitive from the mirror universe just feels so tacky to me that if if that's the direction they go, I will have a visceral uh, disgust at that. You know, I I think they've created such a such a shaded and and really just so many shades of gray character that that uh, I would I. 
to me, it makes more sense that he's just this. This is one aspect of him that we can look at. That in a crunch, he knows how to be a leader. Like that's that's a positive. So I hope that that's in fact what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of dimension to him, uh, but but for the record, I'll, I'll just say right now, if uh, if it does end up that this has been Mirror Lorca all along, as as you possibly dread, yes. I'll have to mark out at least five minutes in a future episode after that revelation is made for you just to go just, off, just to rant, right? yeah. Yeah. just to just a rant. So- <laughs> <laughs> So you just you just be prepared for that if and when the, the situation arises. Uh, Rachel, what do you think? Um, I'm coming around to the idea that Lorca is mere Lorca. Oh, are you? Um, yeah, I just felt like some of his facial expressions in this episode were, <laughs> I don't know, a little like a little bit knowing, sure. like when she's like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want to kill those people. Um, I'm going to go down to the planet. I feel like his response was like, uh, like the emperor is going to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like he knew more. Hmm. I don't know. I just feel like he, he seems to know more about the mirror universe. Mm -hmm. Well, it's possible too that, uh, you know, maybe instead of being from there, that he has just been there. It's true. It's consistent with my fanboy hypothesis that he's a fan of the mirror universe. <laughs> yeah, he's studying the the warfare aspect because that's he certainly is a fan of that. That's for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We will see. Uh, Cicero, how about you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, look. I, I'm I'm not surprised by anything anymore. I've already. I've already last week explained that I felt like uh, uh, Captain Lorca was the the old black guy in every horror film who knows <laughs> the sage who has all of the sage advice. Um, yeah, it's there's just a knowing. There has been a knowing way about uh, our, our our very complex favorite captain uh, for Discovery, at least uh, Gabriel Lorca, and and. Um, you know, as much to much to Zachy's chagrin, I, I really do believe that he is <laughs> he is the mirror universe, uh, and he's just home now. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which I, I will say well this. I, I will say this. If that does in fact turn out to be the case, it will at the very least justify this show going there so soon. Sure. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's 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 true. Uh, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, I guess I should give props to uh, to the writers of the show thus far because it's not entirely clear exactly where they're going yet, and that's not something you can necessarily say of other shows on on TV. You know, I mean, it it looks like it might be leaning in that direction, but it's not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination, and I think that. Uh, a similar kind of uh, feeling is also pertinent to Valk and Ash Tyler. I mean, we had to do quite a bit of digging to indicate what that revelation would probably be, but the writing of the show itself did a pretty good job of keeping its cards close to the proverbial chest. So at least there is that, but we'll have to see if, uh, if the show actually does give us a reason for, 
you know, uh, maybe that's the segment. We'll, like a ra- like an old radio show. You know, Zachy's agony. Booth, <laughs> you have to let it all out and uh, <laughs> see where things go. Uh, well, all right. Well, let's move along with the plot a little bit. So Burnham and Tyler travel as a landing party to the coordinates of the resistance themselves without anybody else. And instead of leading a destructive charge, they instead surrender to the resistance in hopes of learning how the Klingons of this universe have learned to work with other species, uh, which might potentially give them an advantage diplomatically in the prime universe. Upon beaming down to the surface and meeting the resistance leader, they discover that it's led by the mirror counterpart of Valk. Burnham offers to give the group time to escape before their base is destroyed, but because the resistance doubts the word of a Terran, the mirror Valk summons the mirror Sarek, who performs a mind meld on Michael and confirms to the rest of the resistance that she can in fact be trusted. Listening to Valk speak, particularly about Kalis, triggers Tyler's programming and he has to be restrained, putting the operation at risk. The two versions of of Valk clash before being separated. Uh, wow. Well, first of all, what did you guys make of the revelations concerning the resistance's leadership? Not just that it's led by the mirror counterpart to Valk, but that Sarek is seen as a prophet on a diametrically opposed side to the empire, because obviously we know where his son in this universe lays his loyalties. So did you guys find that surprising at all? Cicero, how about you first? Uh, no, I didn't find it surprising. I've, I've, I mean, I found it a little bit convenient that uh, all the major players um, in in the Prime Universe were were also major players, or uh, you know, major players in the um, in the in the Mirror Universe. But you know, obviously, that's what you got to do, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't think too much into uh, where uh, the 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 history behind. Where you know, especially where Spock was, um, it, you know, I, it didn't even occur to me until you until you said something right right now. But um, so I, you know, I was just okay with the fact that, like, okay, these this is where these guys are, this is who they are, and of course, I got to bring them out and and you know, deal with uh, the you know our prime characters, our heroes. Uh, so that was cool. Um, the thing that I thought was weird was why. Uh, Burnham felt like she could glean any insights from the mirror universe Klingons about how to, you know, treat with her prime, the prime Klingons, um, especially given the fact that they're, you know, allegedly their motivations are completely opposite. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so asking the probing questions about, you know, isn't isn't this against the will of like? Doesn't Kayla say Klingons first? Wouldn't Kayla in the mirror universe say Klingons and everybody? You know, like <laughs> so. So I mean, those are those are kind of the questions that you that you wind up asking yourself, or at least I wind up asking myself uh, when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm watching and I'm listening to these things and I'm I'm trying to immerse myself in in, in uh, the goings ons of of the episode. Yeah, sure. Zachy, what do you think about all this? Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's it's nice because it's queuing up a lot of questions, and I like that uh, we're getting these sort of dribs and drabs of what life is like in the mirror universe, and I like that. Like, you know, they, they haven't done like the Doc Brown chalkboard thing that sort of 
laying the whole thing out. Because, because that, that was one thing I didn't like in, in the previous episode where it was like Burnham pulled up, you know, the, the Star Trek Wikipedia page and just was like, oh, in the mirror universe, this, 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 and this. Right. And I like, I like that there's some surprises. It's funny because uh, as far as Vok being the – the the you know the the, uh, the leader and him you know Ash Tyler uh, encountering him that the revelation of that hit me at a nice place because I'm I'm sitting here watching it with my wife who is a very patient person she's she puts up with me being a Star Trek fan so she's kind of like so what's going on here so what's the and I'm like explaining the mirror universe I'm like well see no because Burnham she's like the mirror duplicate and. She's like, well, where's her mirror version? I'm like, well, she's dead. And, you know, I'm like explaining. And so she points to Tyler. And she's like, well, where's his mirror version? And I'm like, well, he doesn't have one because, hmm. You know, because I'm I'm like, and it's literally as they're beaming down to meet this this unseen Klingon, you know, and I'm like, I'll bet you any amount of money. And it turned out to be him. So that that timing was was fortuitous in that regard. So, and I just, I love the symmetry of, uh, you know, of the Vulcans always having the goatees, you know, because they did the same yeah. with, with um, what's his face, uh, Gary Graham on Enterprise, uh, Saval, Saval, yeah, you know, and yeah. I just I love the the. I mean, you know, people say they're not paying attention to continuity. Come on, what right. is yeah. that? Right. That's like inside baseball, you know, and they're really doing it. Oh, so totally. I love that. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. Um, well, so with respect to your Sarek and, uh, Spock sort of musing, Mm -hmm. um, I think that like some, some things are opposite in the mirror universe, but like generally people's life courses have to parallel each other in Mm -hmm. some respect. And so in the mirror universe, it makes sense that Sarek and Spock would have to have some sort of like massive falling out Mm -hmm. and it's probably over something to do with the Terran empire in this universe, sure. right. As opposed to Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I thought that was cool. Um, I did kind of feel like the, we're going to get Intel on why the Klingons are, 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 aren't xenophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that was a little bit of a convenient plot device for me. I, I wish it had, maybe made a little bit more sense mm-hmm. um i feel like it really doesn't take that much strategic thinking to think that you know necessity um right. when like you know obviously uh sort of these religious teachings of Kalos, like all religious teachings are a bit fungible when you are need to um bend the rules to survive um so i feel like you could kind of reason that out. There's no like huge giant mystery that the Klingons are like these great immovable creatures that can never, ever, ever work with anyone. Maybe that, I don't know. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. she thought, but I I feel like it was obvious to me. Well, and it's certainly not a one-to-one reflection, right? I mean, because Mirror Sarek didn't seem to have any greater degree of familiarity with Michael than... Right. Uh, than anyone else. So Michael's parents probably survived in the mirror universe. At least you you might be able to assume that possibly. But no, I think your point about Spock and Sarek splitting up is definitely well taken. And it's very much in line with what we are familiar with in the prime universe as far as their very complicated relationship is concerned. 
So, and yes, and Zaki's absolutely right. It just shows that they are paying attention contrary to the belief of some in the Star Trek fan community. I mean, they would have to in order to be able to sort of draw those lines without actually explicitly drawing those lines, which is kind of cool. And again, Tellarites and Andorians looked pretty awesome. And I also, (laughs) in a weird way, you know, I kind of wonder... It was in the back of my mind when I saw the meeting of of the resistance, you know, is this potentially going to be the foundation of what becomes the Klingon-Cardassian alliance? Because obviously that is uh, a union of disparate species that band together in order to try and stop the the onslaught of the Terrans and in the future they succeed. So is, is, uh, is this potentially the building block of something like that? Kind of a cool question, but certainly not something that Discovery needs to get anywhere near close to answering. But uh, let's move along, of course. So back on the ship, Tyler reveals to Burnham that he now knows who he is. Valk, son of none. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> really get out of here. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what a That is brand new information. <laughs> So he's he's finally starting to realize that he did undergo surgery to appear human and to infiltrate Starfleet and specifically Discovery. He fully convinces her of his true identity when he describes his fight with her on the ship of the dead when Takuma was killed. And a fight ensues that sees Valk nearly kill Burnham. She's saved by the mirror counterpart to Saru and Tyler quote unquote, Tyler is arrested and sentenced to death for attempting to kill his captain by the Terran empire. Burnham has him beamed into space where he's almost instantaneously beamed aboard the USS discovery. Saru and Tilly imprison him after having earlier found the body of Dr. Culber. So, uh, obviously I, I did kind of gloss over the stuff concerning Saru and Tilly and Colber and Stamets. We'll get to that in a second, but the implication earlier in the episode was that Stamets perhaps not in control of himself killed Dr. Culber, but apparently by the end of the episode, Burnham was able to communicate. No, it was actually this Klingon in disguise that had killed Dr. Culber and, Valk is then imprisoned aboard Discovery, potentially next door to his favorite buddy, Lorel. <laughs> so things seem to be coming to a head concerning Valk and potentially his status as a heavy hitter adversary on this show now that Call is out of the way. So is Prime Valk slash Tyler's instability enough to make you doubt where he will ultimately end up? Or do you see his position as a big bad on the show, potentially more galvanized after his self-revelation and after murdering Dr. Culber and after taking full responsibility of who he really is? Zachy, why don't we start with you? Yeah, a couple thoughts. I, I, you know, I thought the confrontation between them um, after he has fully cling, Klingonified, Klingonized, whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, I thought it was really effective. I mean, it, the, he's yeah. playing this mind game with her, and and it reminded me, like the way she played it, it reminded me of Buffy, like after Angel turns into Angelus. Um, I don't know if you guys mm. are Buffy fans, right? right. Um, Rachel is. Ring the bell. Uh, I mean, I watched it I, yeah. once, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but, it is like that. You're right. I mean, certainly the the in terms of the hurt that she because it's a betrayal, it's a personal right. betrayal, right? Um, and and it also. It, it, by, by the end of the episode, 
I was like, I don't think Ash Tyler comes back after this. I just, uh, and I said that last time I was like, I think killing Dr. Culber, that's, that's the, you know, that's uh, the equivalent of, of like in star Wars, uh, Kylo Ren killed Han Solo. He doesn't get redeemed like Mm -hmm. that. Across the line, uh, so to me, I, I sort of see Ash Tyler being a, a little bit like um, uh, what's his name, Agent Ward on Agents of Shield. If sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, where like from like we thought he was a good guy, he's not, and from now he's going to be one of the big bads. That's that's my prediction, and we'll see how wrong I am. You know. <laughs> sure. Well, so do you think then that uh, do you think Ash Tyler is still in there at all, or is this going to be completely superseded by the disciple of Takuma? I, I think to to whatever extent he's in there is irrelevant, except as like knowledge that that uh, Vok can draw on, you know, against the the Federation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rachel, what do you think about all of this finally coming to a head? Yay! Everything's <laughs> out in the open. Um, oh, and I was I was right. Hashtag Rachel was right. Uh, Javid Iqbal is a relation of Shazad Latif. That's his father's name. Oh, wow. And he, yeah, he passed away a few years ago. Oh. And so uh, Shazad chose that uh, as the fake name oh. to honor his father. Oh, oh that's nice. That's beautiful. Um, but also, hashtag Cicero was right because it did appear that the subtext of the um, in this episode was that the reason that his sort of Vok programming didn't come through right away was uh, his love for Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of what he was, I believe, what he was saying. Right. Um, yeah, and I uh, I agree that 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 scene was you know, a plus acting by both Shazad Latif and Sinequa. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, it was a uh, really, really sad and upsetting. Yeah. It um, was. And I, I like that. Cause even though I knew it was coming, it was still, you know, hard to watch and, and fun to watch. It was fun to watch him fight Vok, mm-hmm. mere Vok, <laughs> like a Vok on Vok. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but and I, I don't think I, I agree with Zachy. I don't think Ash Tyler's coming back. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way that everything was played, it seems like he's full Vok mm-hmm. and uh, is going to be the bad guy or a bad guy. You never go full Vok, right? <laughs> <laughs> he certainly didn't seem to express a lot of love loss for for Michael on the transporter pad right. before. He was beamed into space. That's for sure. Yeah. Cicero, you got to have thoughts about this, man. I mean, you were the one who brought this whole thing to our attention in the first place. So, <laughs> so the so first things first. I love the Clark Kent Superman Superman three esque fight between Ash Tyler <laughs> and Volk. Um, nice invocation. I was about to by say the way, cut. Thank I love you. it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> One, one uh, clearly one of my favorite moments in, in all of cinema uh, is just that cheesy, <laughs> that cheesy fight is amazing. Um, but uh, just the, the the fact that like hearing Ash Tyler speak Klingon and and be the representation of quote unquote real Klingons against against his you know his mirror image and Volk was was you know and having Volk only speak English. 
um, during that mm-hmm. fight was was really really amazing. I I really love that. And then uh, to have this revelation that happens in the captain's quarters between uh, these two lovers, um, it, you know, my heart broke for both of them. Um, you know, like just because you you know for Burnham, this is you know this is her everything. If you think you know, if everyone thinks back to the first time that you were in love, and you know the the heartache of that love ending. Um, mm-hmm. to be in the moment and that, you know, not only do you, not only is that person breaking your heart, but that person is breaking your heart and telling you they're, they're a mortal enemy at the same time, uh, is, is just gotta be devastating. And then on top of that, here's a guy as he's talking to the woman he loves is telling her he's slipping away, you know, that he's, yeah. I mean, he's effectively dying in front of her um and and to you know like you could you could feel it was, again great acting uh, across the board and you could feel that pain or at least i felt that pain um when while it was happening and uh i i do think he's rede- rede- you know he's redeemable um i think there is redemption there for ash tyler um that you know i just want to believe i believe in love y'all i believe in love (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so i i i mean i definitely think that there is uh there there is a chance for that to happen i believe i believe in love and i believe in last week zaki who (laughs) said that in order for dr Cobra to come back you know like in order in order for uh for uh tyler to come back Dr. Colbert can't truly be dead. And I believe he's truly not dead. So he can come back. So Ash Tyler can't come back. Um, Fair point. <laughs> yeah. Now, what I will, what I will also say is what an amazing amount of stealthy operation had to occur in order for Captain Burnham to contact Captain Tilly and give her the lowdown about everything yeah. prior to her walking uh to sentence ash tyler to death um that was you know uh wherever that happened that was amazing Mm -hmm. very true well cicero it's nice to know that you believe in a thing called love (laughs) just listen to the rhythm of the heart (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know it's it's kind of hard for me to uh to say one way or the other what I think is actually going to happen here because they've really layered this in a way that I, I obviously the moment of revelation was not specifically surprising but the surprise I guess that Burnham had the way that Sonequa Martin Green played it the emotion was palpable. I mean, all of you guys are, are absolutely right on when when you describe the uh, the way that the scene itself goes over, uh, because it definitely hits all of the right notes. And it was definitely, to me at least, probably the most enthralling scene in this episode. Uh, maybe second only to the last image that we're left with, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, as far as uh, I mean. I, Kudos to Shazad Latif for effectively playing three characters in one episode right, for all really, intents. Really, 
uh, I mean, the guy has shown a considerable amount of, uh, of dimension and skill in separating these three personalities that he's now played over the course of this first season. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of with Zachy before when it comes to the, the expression of Klingon, but Zachy, I don't know about you, but the way that Shazad Latif, Ash Tyler, Vok, however you want to put it, speaks Klingon, especially in this episode, seemed really cool to me. You know, maybe it was because it was sardonic, but yeah, what do you think? It, it worked for me in this episode because it is so horrifying, right? It, it, sure. it sounds so guttural and, and, and d- disgusting almost that we, hearing that coming out of this character we form an attachment to, it hits us in the audience the same way it hits Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, so, right. so I think in if if all of that the, those minutes upon minutes of just guttural nonsense <laughs> were just to lay the pipe for this, hey, well played. I'll give it. I'll give a golf clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially and I, you know, I had alluded before to his parting words for her on the transporter pad. Not only the way that he delivers the line in Klingon, but the disdain on his face. Yeah, you know, it's a total reversal from the. From the almost worried sense of love that he tr- he had expressed before for Michael, and you really do feel the weight of the betrayal in that moment specifically. Like you definitely feel it before their confrontation in in Burnham's quarters, but there's something about that parting word that is still sort of sitting with me that I thought was played really really well, and that's sort of what puts me in the camp of okay, here's our big adversary now, but I'm yeah. still not quite sure. I'm still not totally able to commit to one side or the other, but that'll just make the the uh, experience of watching the episode next week all the more palpable. So uh, let's, let's move along. We're getting almost to the end here. So let's talk a little bit about, um, and I, I don't quite have this separated in what's in front of you, but Saru and Tilly attempt to bring Stamets' consciousness back into his body by using the spore network, but they apparently fail. Uh, During this process within the mycelial network, the consciousness of both Mirror Stamets, who has a Master of Poisons medal, which I thought was cool, (laughs) and Prime Stamets meet. Uh, And Mirror Stamets says to him, I wasn't sure you'd find your way here. Uh, What did you guys think of this moment specifically where you see, okay, so Stamets isn't quite back to normal but uh, there is something happening on the mycelial network and there might be potentially some collaboration between Stamets and his mirror universe counterpart. Cicero, why don't we start with you? On well, I, you know what? I, the first thing I thought was uh, hashtag Chris was right because, <laughs> because it does now confirm that mirror discovery also has a spore drive. That's true. So, yeah. Um, Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was cool. And, and, you know, I'm still not sure if, uh, if Mira Stamets is hashtag Groovy Stamets or, you know, if regular, uh, Prime Stamets is, 
is Groovy Stamets, but uh, I just want that guy to come back. <laughs> True enough. I don't think Mir Stamets is Groovy Stamets. That guy didn't look groovy to me. <laughs> uh, maybe um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. he sniffed too many poisons. Right, right. Who knows? I think Groovy Stamets is from some other universe. Right. Maybe the gro- the Groovy universe. The groovy the Groovy verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think though about uh, you know the the meeting of the Stamitses? Oh, it's intriguing. Uh, we'll have to see what's mm-hmm. to come. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I don't have any judgments on it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm really interested to see where that goes. Zachy, you've been sort of hot and cold on Stamets over the course of this season, but I think you generally like him. Did this leave any impression with you? Uh, no, no strong impression other than, you know, obviously I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what's what's going on with him. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I will say that the, again. I, I was watching this episode with my wife and and trying to explain uh, the mycelial network <laughs> and spore drive to somebody who's coming in virtually cold. I was I was a weeping. Me- I was basically stamens by the end of that. I was I was comatose with glass eyes. By the end of that. It's darkness <laughs> in the forest. There's darkness. Yeah. In the forest. <laughs> that was me. By the end. Don't go into the palace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very well said. Yeah, I, I mean, um, it just leaves a lot of. Uh, I think, if anything, the only impression that I'm left with is that, for whatever reason, I'm pretty sure that the spore drive and the plot lines related to it are probably going to be finished by the time we get to the end of this season. I really don't see this extending into the second season. If anything, you know, Stamet seemed excited before in the uh, ready room with Lorca about the idea of exploring alternate universes. This will probably teach them that maybe that's not such a good idea. And, uh, you know, maybe they should just stick to a significant amount of the unexplored galaxy in their own neighborhood. But of course we will have to, uh, to wait and see. So, the big moment here. So back on the bridge of the Shenzhou, a ship comes out of nowhere and destroys the resistance on the planet's surface before they have the chance to escape that Burnham had promised them before. Burnham is reprimanded for not killing the resistance leaders immediately by the emperor of the Terran Empire, which is revealed to be the mirror universe counterpart of Philippa Giorgio. Don't you bow to your emperor, she says. Lorca, now on the bridge, seems like he's smiling. Yeah, I noticed that. He gives like a little indication of a smile before we're left to scratch our heads and wonder what the hell is going to (laughs) happen next week. So, how did the revelation of the emperor's identity strike you in the moment? Because we had all speculated something to this effect, but of course we weren't sure. So, Rachel, Emperor Giorgio. It's like, it makes so much sense. I don't know why I wasn't more sure that. <laughs> yeah, you visibly or you, you audibly exclaimed when you saw her. Yeah, well, it made so much sense because uh, in terms of character development, that's like the ultimate challenge for Michael is to have to, you know, deal with her beloved mentor being this. I assume evil emperor. Yeah. And uh, also just like Michelle Yeoh looks so good. Yeah. Like, she looks so evil. She looks awesome. And you only saw her for like 10, 15 seconds. And you're like, that is a evil, evil emperor right there. <laughs> like, yeah. 
it's just how I guess it was the makeup or how she was carrying herself or something. I well, don't know. and that draping robe that she was wearing yeah, yeah. was, was very awesome. regal, very, very. Yeah. very. Zaki, Emperor Giorgio. So before they reveal her, I'm sitting with my wife and I'm like, I'll bet you it's Michelle Yeoh. And it was Michelle Yeoh. And I can't, <laughs> I like, I'm, I don't, I'm not genius enough to have been the only one that thought of this, right? Was this like out there in the ether? Because uh, I was not surprised by it. Yeah. No, well, I mean, well, uh, you know, we had speculated last week that it was probably her. Yeah. It would certainly make a lot of sense. We had also said other names like maybe Colber, which would be pretty wild. Rachel had theorized it might be Admiral Cornwell. I was thinking maybe Emperor Ripper, uh, which I'm still a little disappointed didn't actually happen. I, now but- I am too. <laughs> Here's the one thought I have is – is uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but – No, 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 please. Uh, I'm wondering if they'll establish some kind of connection uh, from uh, Emperor Hoshi – to uh, to you know Empress uh, Giorgio. Yeah, yeah, and that was something that I had uh, I had speculated as well at the end of last week's shows. I wonder if uh, if they're either part of the same lineage, like if Giorgio might be Hoshi's granddaughter, and that the imperial line has extended down to her, or if uh, there's some other kind of connection, or if. The uh, maybe Emperor Giorgio had overtaken uh, the Imperial Sato uh, dynasty, if you want to call it that. I mean, there's certainly a lot of possibilities. I hope that we get an answer, considering that we know that the Defiant is around. Right. I'll be. We didn't see the ship that the Emperor was on. It would be pretty awesome if the official if ship of the, the Emperor. Yeah. Is the of defiant? Course it's, oh, that would I would love to see the defiant. That. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. It's the most advanced yeah. ship in the fleet. Why wouldn't it? Well, at least, why would? But even now, a hundred years later. Uh, oh wait, no, no, because it's, it's no. still it's from it's, their future. Right. Okay, it's from, yeah, yeah. It's it's where's where's Doc Brown and the chalkboard? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably you know fifty. It's minus fifteen at this point now. You're right. Yeah, good call. Yeah. True. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would it would certainly make a, a lot of sense if it was the Defiant. But yeah, I'm I'm with you, Zachy. I mean, I hope that because uh, we don't know for sure if Hoshi was successful in overtaking the Empire. But if the Defiant is still around, then she probably was. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it certainly leaves a lot of uh, question marks surrounding a pretty interesting aspect of Mirror Universe continuity. Uh, so I'm right there with you, uh, Cicero. In the moment, how did this strike you? Oh, I was satisfied. Uh, you know, like we had, we had heavily speculated this, and and uh, you know, it came to fruition. And and you know, obviously from a, from a um, character development standpoint, this is uh, it's perfect. Um, as yeah. as Rachel kind of alluded to earlier, uh, the fact that the 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 final boss. <laughs> for, for you know for for michael michael burnham's journey through the wicked wizard of you know the wicked land of oz in uh-huh. the mirror universe which is which is kind of like if you can if you can draw an analogy um uh from this you know or to this from something else it is it is burnham's trip through the wizard of oz you know sure where yeah. where all sorts of things have just kind of gone gone haywire um but yeah, I mean, it makes sense that the final boss is 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 the person with whom 
the the human with whom she found the most solace before Ash Tyler um, and the person with for whom she most wanted to emulate and the person she most respected, the human she most respected. Um, to to see her and I, you know, who knows what she's gonna do? Is is she going to is she going to use the logical aspect of her brain and realize that this isn't the person that she blames herself for dying in the prime universe? Is she going to look at her for some? Is she gonna look at George Al as as uh, for some type of absolution? For for the sins that she has committed against the her mirror counterpart in the prime universe, you know, is she gonna fall in line and become subservient to you know? Clearly, that's the least likely of things to to happen, but but mm. it is likely for it to happen because she respects the you know Philippa Georgiou so much, um, mm-hmm. and if there are aspects of that person within the emperor. Um, it, it stands to reason that that could happen for 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 Burnham. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I certainly don't think that uh, Michael's going to come away from an encounter with the Imperial Giorgio uh, unscathed. I don't think there's a lot of question, though, at least not in my mind, about how she will see the, uh, I guess the imperial conception of her as sort of a perversion of this image of, of a person that she holds in such high regard. To me, all the question marks are around Lorca mm-hmm. and, uh, and that look that he gave. Uh, <laughs> oh, totally. You know, I just, I, I, because on the one hand, you could say, okay, so he's familiar with her. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe this is fulfilling some aspect of, of the plan that we don't know about. And that, that that is actually the prime Lorca who is doing the scheming that we've become so accustomed to. It's just there's so many question marks, and that's where most of the uncertainty in my head lies. I I have a reasonable idea of how Michael is going to react to the idea of Emperor Giorgio, but you know, you and I, all of us, I'm sure, saw the the hint at next week. Lorca didn't exactly look like he was ready to bow, and he certainly didn't say that he was going to bow in front of the emperor. Uh, but you wouldn't think that Mirror Lorca would also necessarily be happy to see someone that we are pretty sure he tried to overthrow either. So there's a lot of questions surrounding how Lorca is going to fit into all this, and I'll be really interested to see how that aspect of it ends up resolving itself. But of course, you know, Michael, that that's going to be a very good character building interaction. Rachel, you got something to that little smile also is making me lean towards it's actually mere universe Lorca because I, for me, that sort of acting choice fits in with the, um, the arc of mirror Lorca who has somehow, you know, he's gone away and then he has like concocted some sort of scheme because he just really wants to overthrow the emperor mm. and he's excited because now he's got another oh, chance. Okay. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's another just way to look into it. How I was thinking about it, but maybe there's another explanation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys I, make of, of that look? Yeah. Cicero. Go, yeah. Go I, was, I was just going to say that my hypothesis is that uh, Captain Lorca was a paramour 
of the emperor. Oh, and, whoa. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he turned on her and, and she, you know, she, she wanted to exact revenge. So, um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, obviously I, I, I'm more convinced now than ever, uh, you know, upon reflection that this is Mira, Mira and that's who mm-hmm. we've been dealing with all along. Zachy, what do you make of that look and, and what we've been saying here? So I saw the look and I was like, they're trying to make us think he's Mira Lorca. <laughs> I'm staking my claim. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weave. I tell you, it's a dodge. Yeah, that's the ticket. Um, I, you know, I have no idea. I, I will say that this show has a tendency to do the thing that you expect when it comes to some of these twists, you know? Right. Sure. Uh, yeah. So at this point, like if, if they're uh, uh, laying the pipe for it being Mira Lorca, I, I'm not going to be shocked. Let me put it that way. Right. Uh, sure. So, so, but but as of based on the information we have right now, that smile could be interpreted in, in many different ways. And I will say that my immediate uh, conclusion is not oh he must be Mira Lorca it's he's got something up his sleeve but that's that's really all I'm able to do it <laughs> yeah yeah it'll be interesting to look on that smile once we have the context of next week's episode because I'm sure that next week's is going to be particularly revelatory if I had to guess of course I don't know for sure. But uh, we will certainly be back next week, and uh, we hope you come with us. So final thoughts on this episode. Where do you guys stand now that we've seen a little more from this vision of the Mirror Universe, what it offers to the lineage of the Star Trek franchise, but probably more importantly, uh, where it positions these characters and how educational it's been in teaching us about them specifically? Zachy? I'm curious. You know, a lot of questions. Um, I, I think that um, what what I like is that it's uh, it's opened up some of uh, what we know about the mirror universe, but it's it's left a lot of stuff in the in the dark. And I'm guessing that we'll get like an info dump from from Empress Giorgio next week. That's my prediction. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Cicero. She's exposition Giorgio. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I'm alone for the ride. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, I, I think um, the more the more we learn, I, I won't say the less enthralled I've become, but I will say that that I'm less than enthused. I guess is the way to say that that the things that we hypothesize weeks and weeks ago. Um, are, are things that are kind of coming to fruition. The thing that, that concerns me the most, and, you know, and I'm still overall, I'm very, very positive on this show. Um, um, but the thing that concerns me the most is we've got four hours of the season left. There are, there are four episodes left and that's it. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it hit me Monday after, you know, after kind of sitting back and I was talking to uh, talking to a coworker actually on Tuesday, uh, talking to a coworker and, and he was like, yeah, you know, we don't have a lot. There's not a lot left. And, I was, you know, and I realized, that, you know, we've got four episodes left and that's it. So there's there's going to be a lot of stuff that they are going to have to wrap up, you know, or wherever they determine to leave the season, the series off. You know that it has to be 
uh, left off on a cliffhanger to go into the next season. So, yeah. you know, what are how are they going to resolve this mirror universe stuff? Uh, we probably will get a lot of exposition from Emperor Jojo. And then how are they going to set up the next crisis to, to you know, to push us in and, and keep us on the hook for season two? Very true. Very true. Rachel? Uh, I want them to go home. <laughs> to, uh, the I want to go home. The mirror universe is scary. Yeah. Uh, uh, I liked everything that happened in this episode and I'm sure that I will like what is to come. Mm -hmm. I just, my general feeling is that I'm done with the mirror universe and I would (laughs) like, like them to, to be kind of going. Get back to trekking. Yeah. Well, or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my impressions of the episode are positive generally. I, uh, I thought it was pretty good. But uh, yeah, lots, lots and lots of questions, of course. I mean, I say that every week. I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me say that, but at least the questions are engaging and they're interesting. And I care enough about these characters to want to see, sure. uh, to see them answered. So that's probably the, one of the biggest compliments I could pay to that show is that I still care after, after all of these episodes, I still care and I still want to see more. Uh, so that is, uh, I guess that's my final thought before we go to next week. So we actually don't have any uh, listener feedback this week. So that's actually going to do it for this episode of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when we return to duty for next week's episode. As always, though, until then, long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. Go boldly, my friend.